Well, thank you everybody for joining us. I'm Father Chris Alar here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, it's a little cold and windy here, so it's one of our smaller crowds we've ever had other than COVID, but just as much an important topic as we've done before. And it's one that a lot of you've requested and I've been pushing off for several weeks. So today we're gonna to talk about the martyrs and, and what is martyrdom? Does God really desire us to shed blood? And what about this Christian persecution that is just not being talked about in the media? but is so real, it's shocking. And so this is an important uh, opportunity for us to shed some light on this. Now, not even in seminary did I learn enough about martyrs. I learned the basics I'm gonna share with you, but our theologian, Chris Sparks, helped compile some information on the teaching. And so we're glad you could be with us for this important topic. So let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to open our minds and hearts to receive the grace you wish to bestow and this grace to fill us so that whether we be called to white martyrdom, to red martyrdom, or whatever your will be for allowing us to experience the cross, that we may persevere. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Again, uh, glad you are with us because this is so misunderstood. Uh, Non-Catholics think we're crazy. Um, many non-Catholics will call us uh, masochists because we're totally embracing um, suffering and, and, and harm to, to our fellow Christians, and not necessarily. This is what we're going to talk about. I wanted to start with um, an interesting article that uh, Chris pointed out to me, and that is martyrdom. This is by Jimmy Aiken. Martyrdom is more than being killed for your faith. I think that's what a lot of us think of when we hear the term martyrdom. I can promise you in many ways you are a martyr, and we're going to show you how you can receive the maximum grace for that. People are like, what does it mean, Father, to offer it up? But um, we're going to talk about it. So you, martyrdom is more than just being killed for our faith. Okay. It means more than that um, uh, because you're killed because you're a Christian or your belief. It's more. Uh, the church has specified constant teaching regarding martyrdom and surprisingly, what's required to be a martyr. I never knew this, really. Um, this is something that's very interesting is the church actually has specifications to being a martyr. See, a few years ago, I asked Father Kaz to go to Iraq, and I really was serious. I really, really wanted to go to Iraq, and um, I wanted to be a martyr. I, I wanted to die for the faith. This was well before COVID, and Father Kaz in his wisdom said, no, that's your desire, not the will of God's right now. Now, it might come, might happen, but not right now. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad because Father Cass had a lot of wisdom. And there's a great priest, Father Gerald, up out of uh, Michigan, there right near the University of Michigan campus, uh, that is uh, a wonderful example. He did go to Iraq. And um, he is a, a great example that I just saw him 
couple weeks ago, and what an example. But anyway, um, what the church says is there's got to be irrefutable proof that you're ready to be a martyr, not just that you became a martyr, uh, such as being willing to accept being a victim and the shedding of blood. Now, let's go to our next slide. This, surprisingly, is a real button that they were handing out in Washington, D.C. Can you believe this? I hate Christians. Now, could you imagine seriously handing out a button that says, I hate anybody else? Anybody else? But you can do it with Christians. Even the small c on Christians there. That's a real button that they were handing out in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Sad. And so also necessary is to prove directly or indirectly odium fidei, which means hatred of the faith by the persecutor. So you have to show you just weren't killed randomly or that you were in a church when the church exploded by a gas leak. You're not a martyr. A martyr has to mean you're ready, you're willing, you accept it, and the persecutor is doing it for their hatred of the faith. Uh, this is odium fidei. Now, let's go to our next slide. What is martyrdom? Let's go back to Benedict the 14th. <clears throat> and he defines martyrdom as the voluntary enduring of tolerate, tolerating of death on account of the faith of Christ, or another act of virtue in reference to God. So basically, it's voluntary. It's not accidental. And so there are many things we don't understand. Now, what I want to talk about is also Christian persecution, because you're not going to hear this. What I'm about to tell you, you are not going to hear in the media. You're not going to hear even on the internet very rarely. You have to dig you have to dig into deep, good Catholic websites, like Catholic Answers, to find this kind of stuff. Now, there is a great article out there by Philip Kozlowski, and he wrote, are there more martyrs now than in the early church? Now, I always thought this was a urban legend, because I always heard more Christians died for their faith in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined. And I said, nah, I think that's kind of exaggerated. Well, let's see, let's look at this. Now let's go to our next slide. This is a powerful picture. Who's being nailed upside down there? St. Peter. Now, countless Christians we know were killed in early Rome under a lot, under Nero, and probably the most under Diocletian. These were the Roman emperors. Now the early church would do what? People think we're crazy as Catholics, but the first century Christians, you know what they did? They gathered the names of the Christians who were martyred in the very first centuries of the church. They collected relics of them. They collected bones. They collected hair. And we are called crazy today. They did it 2,000 years ago. And so they then assigned feast days for them in the liturgy. Again, people think the Catholics are crazy for having a feast day of martyrs. Now, the holy men and women who gave up their lives for the faith the church was teaching are models. They're, they're good examples for us. And so they were ready to die rather than renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, we're going to get into this in a moment because we all have to ask ourselves, we can say we would do that, but if somebody's holding a knife to your throat ready to cut it, are we, are we really going to not deny Christ? And then just later say, Lord, please forgive me because I was scared. Possibly. And we're going to talk about that. Now, John Paul II, before the great Jubilee year of 2000, actually created a commission for the new martyrs of the great Jubilee. And basically they cataloged all those who died for their faith in the 20th century. Now you're gonna know these names, very familiar. St. Maximilian Kolbe, St. Edith Stein, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, all of those were died in Nazi concentration camps in World War II. You also have others like Oscar Romero of San Salvador. He was assassinated while celebrating mass in 1980. You have, I just did a talk about Our Lady of Cuapa in, in Nicaragua. Several of you sent me stuff about what's happening in Nicaragua with the persecution of Christians. You have, of course, Blessed Miguel Pro, Viva Cristo Rey, um, who died in the, he was a Jesuit priest who was executed by the Mexican government in 1927 for, for being a priest. So a lot of this you've heard of. Now, some you haven't heard of, and I'm going to do a separate talk just on the stories of the martyrs. I wanted to give you forewarning because some of it can be graphic and you might want to watch it before your children, but I, I didn't do that today. But I am going to mention a couple. Let's go to our next slide. These are Armenian martyrs who were burned alive. Blessed Anthony and George. These are the martyrs of Rojitsa in World War II who were burned by the Germans with their congregation because they could have left. They could have been freed, but they decided not to leave their congregation. And so that's a picture of them that we have. These are our Marian martyrs. Now, we also have, if Brother Mark can turn to the next slide, five Marians whose cause for canonization is ongoing right now. I bet you didn't even know this. And I'm going to do a whole talk on these guys who died by the hands of the communists because they were Marian priests. So we Marians, we have such a rich history that many don't even know about it. If you're a Marian helper, this is, these are guys of your family. And so these are, are very, very important. Now, they discovered that in the 20th century, so this is true, the 20th century has produced double not just more. This is what surprised me. I didn't even believe more. The answer is the 20th century has produced double the number of Christian martyrs than all the previous 19th centuries put together. Double. This is impossible. I read this. I'm like, this isn't right. And this is what it says in the commission for the new martyrs that was created in 2000 by John Paul. Now, since the time of Christ, 70 million Christians have been put to death for believing in Christ. 70 million. 70 million. Now, more than half of that, 45 million, that's more than half, died in the 20th century for their faith. Just being Christian. 45 million, just the 20th century. Total, grand total, is 70 million. So since the time of Christ, 70 million have died. 
but more in the 20th century than all the rest combined. And so as we know now, the 21st century martyrdom is still going on. It's still a huge issue. So um, <clears throat> global analysis shows that, and, and you'll never hear this, Christianity is the world's most persecuted religion, bar none, but you don't hear this. And Christians now represent over a third of the world population, or almost a third, it's a little over a quarter, at 2.2 billion, all right? So it's just over a quarter, there's 8 billion people in the world, 2.2 billion are Christian. Now, these Christians are definitely the most persecuted religious body on the planet. I want to show you a two-minute video. This is my only video today that I found that is, you know, we all know the common martyrs, all right? We all know the big names. I'm going to show you 10 martyrs you've probably never heard of, except uh, Charles Luongo. Many of you have heard of him. But other than him, these are 10 you've probably never heard of. Let's quick hear in two minutes their story on this quick video. Okay, so those are some amazing examples of martyrs, many of which we haven't heard of. Some we have, 
but a lot of them we haven't. And just think of, they've gave the ultimate sacrifice. Again, we're going to be coming back to the question, could we do this if we were faced? Now, there's another article out there, Lisa Zangarini and Vatican News, that reports over 360 million Christians are suffering persecution around the world. Why do I bring this up? Why, Father, are you talking about something so negative? Because they're not being prayed for. Well, Father, why are they not being prayed for? Because we don't know this, what I'm about to tell you. Um, there's a, a group called Open Doors, and they release an annual world watch list. And this came out this last year in 2023. They're confirming that one out of every seven Christians in the world suffers high, high levels of persecution all the way up to death. 2022, this is interesting, the worst year ever for Christians, 2022. Unbelievable. It was the worst year for levels, increasing levels of violence, discrimination, and exclusion. Do you know where the worst is? What's the worst country, the most dangerous country in the entire world? Anybody? North Korea. Let's go to our next slide. When you look into the eyes of those Christians, just, just look into their eyes. These are the bravest people, I believe, in the world. Christians in North Korea. North Korea is the most hostile place for Christianity in the world, the most dangerous no freedom of worship. If it is discovered that you are practicing the faith, you will be sent to forced labor camps, if not probably killed. Even owning a Bible is a serious, serious crime, which will be severely punished. Now, North Korea has replaced Afghanistan. Afghanistan was the most dangerous place, but why did Afghanistan drop down? Why did Afghanistan fall off the top of the list? only because almost all the Christians have left. What a sad answer. This is the birthplace of Christianity, the Middle East. So conversion away from Islam to another faith is punishable by death in Afghanistan. So this tiny, tiny little local community is forced to go underground. God bless them. Father, why are you talking about something so depressing? Because we got to pray for them. I even realized doing this, I got to do more masses for them. And I'm going to be offering my mass today for them. This is unreal. It really should move you. So the worst now is North Korea, followed by Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, Libya, Nigeria, Pakistan, and Iran very dangerous to be Christians there. Many of you have heard of Nigeria. Let's go to our next slide. There's a sign, please stop killing Christians in Nigeria. Boko Haram, the Islamic radical group, priests are being shot, burned, beheaded, drowned, kidnapped. Uh, churches are being attacked as well. Um, some of you know the great story of Father Richard Shabu. I had him come here. I, I mean, he's probably the priest I admire more than any priest I've ever known in my life because of what he's been through. He, he, he is 
offered himself, lived in the woods for weeks to free captive nuns and priests. He negotiated with terrorists to be able to free them, risked his own life, got sicker than a dog. Um, not only that, he was in the church when 12, 12 Islamic terrorists came into the church to blow it up. And Father Richard was celebrating Mass. And all of a sudden, one of the leaders, in the midst, they came with, with explosives strapped to themselves. They were going to blow up the church. Father Richard was celebrating Mass. And all of a sudden, the leader of the 12, how ironic, 12, the leader fell to his knees and went into a trance. After that, he announced that he saw Jesus and Mary and announced that Jesus is God. It was so powerful and so believable that all of those others stepped back, laid down their arms, and just last year entered into the Catholic Church. They converted, risking their lives. Father Richard sent me pictures, and I apologize. I didn't have time to, 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 to put them in there, but I, I think it's so powerful. And they entered into the Catholic Church. These are Islamic terrorists that were ready to kill everyone in that church, explode the church, blow it up, and they became Catholic. Hearing the words of Father Richard, because he didn't stop talking when they came in, he kept preaching. You know, churches are being attacked all over. Even Protestants, it's not just Catholic. Our Protestant brothers and sisters have also paid a high price for Christ. You know, one story that really moved me doing this, and again, I'm going to do a separate talk on, on the stories of the martyrs. I'm not going to do the stories today. I'm just going to tell you what martyrdom is and what we need to know. But one that really moved me was a 16-year-old Anglican uh, young girl who was converting um, to Christianity. She was, or converted, I'm sorry, to Anglican. She, she was becoming a Protestant. Uh, her name was Amanch Malsamola and her parents were Islamic, they killed her. So this little 16-year-old girl, this catechumen coming into the Anglican church, please pray for this Monch Masamola, because she came from an, a Muslim family. She was 16. She converted, she became an Anglican catechumen, and her parents killed her. Killed her for doing that. I, I can't even imagine. Um, in India, India, I've met so many Indians are the most gentlest people, but yet the Hindu national government has stripped the rights and the members of all other faiths. So the persecution of Christians there is huge. What about Iran and uh, Myanmar? Uh, there was a military coup there in 2021, and the Junta army now is blowing up churches. Do you hear this on ABC Nightly News? CBS Nightly News? No. According to Open Doors, that group I mentioned, displacement is deliberate. All the refugees, it's deliberate to wipe out the Christian churches and presence in these nations. So yes, it's good that we accept immigrants and stuff in some way, but in another way, it's not. Because it's all the calculated move to, to wipe Christianity out in these countries. Um, 
Other heinous, but a lot of hidden forms of persecution are against Christian women. I was just reading some accounts this morning. Thousands of, of women victim to rape, and they, um, they're shamed, their families are shamed, and the communities are shamed because the women are no longer then considered pure. What a tragedy. Then they're in, put into forced marriages, um, aimed to do one thing, force conversion away from Christianity. If they don't, they're set into sex trafficking. Now, we hear a lot on the news recently about sex trafficking. But have you ever heard one of the biggest reasons why? Is because these are Christian girls in non-Christian nations. Have you heard that? I haven't. Why are you bringing this up, Father Chris? I'll keep repeating it over and over because we need to pray for them. Social and cultural reasons for those reasons, most cases are not reported to authorities. They're afraid. According to the International Society for Human Rights, 80% of religious discrimination in the world, 80% is against Christians. Yet, we don't hear that. We'll hear all about a mosque being graffiti, and that'll make worldwide news, or a Koran being burned. But we won't hear about 80% of religious persecutions of the Christians. We don't hear about that. I'm not saying either are, are undeserving of attention. Yes, and they should be fixed. But let us hear about what the Christians are going through as well. Let's go to our next slide. This is that famous picture that just moves my heart every time I see it. Based on the annual report by Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, the report of status of global mission, 100,000 Christians are killed each year. 100,000. And 100,000 were killed each year between 20, 2000 and 2010. Do you know that's 11 per hour? 11 Christians an hour are being put to death for their faith. What are we doing about it? Well, Father, there's not much I can do about it. Yes, you can. Pray fast. Be educated. That's what I'm trying to do here today. And it's not just Islam. This picture happens to be Islam, but actually communist, communism. And now our students are being taught the beauties of socialism and communism. Actually, most deaths caused to Christians in the 20th century were communism. So anyway, um, Mary warned us of that in Fatima. All right, now, in Greek, what does the word martyr mean? What does the word martyr mean? It means witness. So what is a martyr's death witnessing? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas told us that martyrdom is the greatest sign of charity. What's the greatest virtue? Charity. And he said the greatest sign of that is martyrdom. The love that comes from being willing to surrender to God. The martyr chooses to give witness to the reality of God over his life. God is greater than even your own life. God gave you this life, and basically you're allowing it to give given back to him. Um, martyrs are a witness to the greatest good for humanity. God. 
being a martyr is a witness to God. And it's not just dying, as I mentioned earlier. We're going to talk about how you probably are a martyr yourself. Martyrs prioritize God. That is the ultimate good over all other goods, even the good of living. That's really what martyrdom is. Now, they understand that God is unlike any created good in this life. God is uncreated. Now, we search for these created goods during our life, don't we? But God is uncreated. He is eternal, infinite. So, unlike created goods, they are finite. They are exhaustible, like money. Money is finite. It can be exhausted no matter how much you have. Um, but the goodness of God is inexhaustible. It'll never run out. So the delight that God brings can never end. God is the universal good. God is goodness itself. And that's what evil is. Evil is not a real created thing. Evil is when you remove God from something. We take God out of our courts. We take God out of our schools. We take God out of our families. We take God out of our workplace. What's happening? You're removing God. Who is God? Goodness itself. So when you remove God, you remove goodness itself. And what happens? When goodness is removed, you have a privation of the good, and that's the definition of evil. God didn't create evil. Evil is a privation of the good. We take God, whose goodness itself, out, you create a vacuum. There's a lack, a lack of the good. And that is evil. So each particular good makes us happy in a particular way on earthly terms. And the happiness that comes from earthly things like money is distinct from the happiness that you have in another good on earth, like the birth of a child. Okay? Even the earthly happiness has different levels. Now you all know I'm a big football fan. And I've been saying, pray for my Detroit Lions. I will be very happy if the Detroit Lions win tomorrow and make it to the championship game. One game away from the Super Bowl. I will be so happy. I've been waiting my whole life for this. I have never experienced this. I've been waiting my whole life. Now I will be happy. But that is finite. That is not inexhaustible, it is not infinite, and it certainly isn't going to fill an inner joy that only God can fill. I'll be super happy and put on my Lions t-shirt, but I will not get into heaven by telling the Lord I'm a Lions fan. Well, he might say you've suffered enough and suffering is redemptive. He could possibly say that, but God is the universal good. He makes us happy not just in a certain way, like money is a certain way, or the birth of a child in a certain way, or the lions winning the Super Bowl in a certain way. He is a universal good. He makes us happy in all ways, greater than all those combined. So in this life, we, re, we, we, we have to understand we move from temporal goods, um, from good to good to good, money or, or, or friends or sports, and we're seeking happiness, but then th that's never going to completely fulfill our inner joy. And so we feel unsatisfied. We feel kind of empty. You ever hear people say, there's got to be more to life. I feel empty inside. Well, that's because you don't have that fullness. 
of, 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 of God in the eternal joy, internal joy. And so martyrs are signs of authentic happiness because now they're united with God. So the death of a martyr invites us to re-examine how we have prioritized what we see as good in our life and what we see bringing us happiness. Many people, now to bring up football, will choose to go to a football game on Sunday at the expense of not going to Mass. Now, yeah, I'm going to try to watch the Lions tomorrow, but I'm certainly not going to miss Mass because of it. I would certainly miss that game before I would miss Mass, no matter how much I love it, because we have to understand what really provides happiness. And the martyrs help us examine how have we prioritized what we think makes us happy. If football has become your religion, you're saying, I think this makes me the most happy. If shopping has become your religion, you're saying, I think this makes me the most happy, or money, or sex, or power. But God only can provide that fullness, the priority of what happiness is. Now, this is interesting. Father Louis Bertrand Lamone, uh, he's a Dominican, a couple years ago, did a piece of work called Our Martyrs Navy Seals or Little Flowers. And I thought this was really interesting. Now he says martyrs, and you're probably thinking as I've been talking here, Father, I wish I could be that strong. I wish that if a knife was held up to me that I wouldn't cave in. I, I, I wish I, I could go to Iran or Iraq and, 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 and be a missionary there and risk my life. I wish I could do it, but I'm not strong enough. I'm not, I don't have enough courage. Well, he says, martyrs aren't really braver than you. If you feel that way, it doesn't mean they're braver than you. If you feel that way, that means they're more open to God's grace than you. And I started reading this and went, whoa. Now we mentioned St. Dominic Abanez. Let's look at our next slide. This is a picture of him and his companions. They were martyred in Japan in the 17th century. Great witness to the faith. Now, if you've not heard this, it's, it's grisly, okay? I, I'm not gonna get into all the details. I'm just gonna read a few things um, but in, in the writings, St. Dominic was recounting, this is St. Dominic Abanez, the ways in which Christians were killed for the faith. Now, if you have little children watch, I, I, I'm not going to get graphic here, but I, I think it's important to mention what happened. Some were buried in the ground up to their waists. Okay, they were not buried all the way. They were buried in the ground up to their waists. And then over a period of days, they were slowly sawed in half. Not all at once, but over a course of several days. I never heard that before. Others were burned alive and then suspended over the fire to make their death longer and more painful. Others were crucified. Now these stories, while gruesome, actually 
are inspiring tales of Christians totally dedicated to Christ. This is why we, people think we're weird. Father, how could that be? All right, now we're going to answer the question. Could I have done that? All they had to do was renounce Jesus Christ. They were let go. Could you do it? I would like to think I could do it. That was what I had in my heart when I wanted to go to Iraq. I would like to think that. Could I have done it? I would like to think so. Or would I have caved in? As soon as they were burying me, I probably still would have stayed strong. But then when they began to cut, would I have renounced? Just knowing that I could tell the Lord, I'm sorry later that I really didn't mean it. I was just afraid. Now, I believe I have the grace that I wouldn't cave in. Now, you don't ever know until God allows that, but I beg God for that grace. And so ask yourself that question. Now, hopefully you'll never have to face red martyrdom, but we're gonna talk about white martyrdom that you face every day. We got Chris here with us in the first pew who faces white martyrdom every single day because he's a man that God has given a bigger share of the cross than he ever would give to me because he knows I'm too weak. God only gives us the cross the size that we could carry. This guy's a bodybuilder because he carries the biggest cross I've ever seen. And so we, we know that since the crucifixion, of Christ, the spirit of martyrdom has always been a part of our faith, okay? Carrying our cross and then being nailed upon it. From the beginning of the church, some Christians, including most of all the apostles, except John, witnessed their faith by the shedding of their blood and giving a wholehearted yes to God's will. Now, why well, it's one thing and, you know, people got to think about this. Well, it's one thing to understand and even admire the martyrs. It's quite another to desire it. That you want to be a martyr. Deep down, it's possible that we're probably afraid to die. That's natural. We love martyrs, but we really don't want to be one. <laughs> and God knows that. It's our human nature to survive, to, to persevere. And so the point is, left to ourselves, we will fail. I just asked the question, would I be strong enough to not renounce Christ if I was being buried in the sand and cut in half? The answer is no. Absolutely, I would not be strong enough. Notice I'm saying I. I would fail in the face of suffering, and so would you. And we would certainly give up on the Catholic faith when tortured. We would certainly cave in in order to avoid death if we were talking about ourselves. This is what brings us to what is unique and distinctive about Catholic martyrdom. The martyr's victory is not from your own strength, not from your own courage, but solely the grace of God. A Christian martyr is not necessarily someone who has the strong personality, the alpha type A, who is naturally courageous and who has a high tolerance of pain. 
That's not necessarily who a Catholic Christian martyr is. Rather, a martyr is someone who has received a very special grace, a gift from God, the grace to accept it. You all remember St. Lawrence? The deacon, right? They started to burn him at the stake, right? They said as he was burning, the people there reported they could smell baking bread. And he was smiling the whole time. Why? Because he had the grace. He had the grace. The grace to believe in Christ even when he was going through suffering. And that's when he said, you could turn me over. I'm done on this side. And so let's go to our next slide real quick. Here are martyrs. The famous picture in Rome of the lion. They chanted the Te, te, te Deum, which is what we pray in Office of the Readings, which is a great hymn of praise, as they went to be executed. Now, the martyrs, when they did that, they didn't congratulate themselves. Hey, man, see you in heaven. No, they didn't. They praised God for the privilege of dying for him and for the grace they were given to stay true to him, even in the midst of the worst times. Now, Again, I want to get to in a minute here how you're a martyr, even though you're not a red martyr. But before I do that, we want to talk about grace versus pride. So what is the grace of martyrdom? It's a gift that God gives to enable you to have resolve in the face of suffering. It's not you who's going to be strong enough. It's God's grace. The grace makes it possible for the martyr to love God so much that you say yes to him no matter what the cost, no matter what the suffering. And again, it doesn't have to be your life. It could be your daily chores, your job. You are taking care of the kids, your homework. All of that can make you a martyr. But if God gives the grace of red martyrdom, are you going to be afraid? Are we going to be afraid? Maybe. Why? Why would we be afraid and want to give up? Surprisingly, the answer is pride. You know, the sin of pride makes us think that we can save ourselves. This is the danger of it. And we are capable that we can do it alone. And we are capable of serving Christ perfectly without the help of his grace. I can do it. I, I do this all the time. When I was struggling with a particular sin back in my 20s, I'd go to confession. I'd say, I'm going to do this. And then I'd fall. And I'd come back to confession. I'm going to do this. And then I'd fall. And I'd come back to confession. I'm going to do this. The only time I actually finally was able to overcome it was not me. It was finally surrendering to God and saying, I cannot do this. <laughs> I cannot do it. Only the grace of God can do this. Only the grace of God. And so, without his grace, we have no hope, whether in martyrdom or ordinary life. The person with a proud heart relies on himself and his own resources. This is the issue with money. You think money's going to guarantee you um, security? Uh-uh. Something will happen. Failure, it's going to happen. The market's going to crash. Money's going to be worthless. It's all, it, it all could happen. So a prideful person thinks of the martyrs as a Navy SEAL. If you, if you think of a martyr as a Navy SEAL, strong, 
I mean, that's how I wanted to think of the religious life. You remember Top Gun, where they were on the aircraft carrier deck? When I was in novitiate, I told my novice brothers, that's us, man. And I turn around and I see now Father Thad, but at that time, Brother Thad, Thad, you're, in my, you're my wingman to my left. And Rich, you're my wingman to my right. And we got our battle orders. And I would play that Top Gun song where they were taking off the aircraft carrier deck. And that song, and it would just get you so motivated. You were going into combat. That's how I saw it. That was 17 years ago. 17 years ago. And that's what I saw was my belief in what a martyr was. A Navy SEAL. A Green Beret. Mary's Marines. These are all things that we think we can do. It's pride. This is not what the church teaches. Those who have been prepared and who have unique personality traits, physical strength and extraordinary grit, that's good. And be able to face situations with courage, this is good. But the idea of martyrs is something different, surprisingly. The idea of martyrs may sound attractive, but that kind of idea of martyr, a Navy SEAL, a Green Beret, or Mary's Marines, it's not Christian. What it is, is pride. And so we have to make sure that we, if we are truly embracing martyrdom, it's humility. It's not us. God is the one. In martyrdom, we praise and thank God who makes our martyrdom possible in the first place. It's not about us overcoming. I'm not a Navy SEAL. Okay? I, I, I'm, I'm not going to defeat with my effort. Uh, I'm not a Green Beret in, 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 in the army of heaven. Now, it sounds appealing, and my personality is all about that. My personality is all about it. But to be a green beret in heaven is Mary and her humility. Not being like my dad, a great Marine. Marine in Vietnam, strong, courageous. And as much as I admire that, that's not the Christian idea of martyr. That's why we should say, Christians, don't be so weak. Even my dad says that. He's like, why don't they stand up and fight? They are. With humility. Mary's weapon. That's a real Mary's Marine. And so this is what it is. Now, the true humility will help us rely on God, not ourselves. Humility keeps someone from striving. Okay, here's the point. Here's the point. Humility keeps you from striving for greatness by your own strength. Not being great, but by God's definition, not your own. The little way is an example. She desired martyrdom, but with humility, not her own strength. She said, I'm too weak, St. Therese. The problem is not striving for greatness. That's good. But striving to be great by your own power is bad. And so I hope you get the message there. Now, let's finish up. 
Why is martyrdom acceptable if we are allowed to defend ourselves? If we're supposed to, I just did a, a show on EWT and Living Divine Mercy about just war. And I focused a lot on the catechism's teaching that self-defense is not only allowed, it's a moral duty. You have a mortal, mortal, moral duty for self-defense. Now, Father, Father Charles Grandin answered this. He said, self-defense is a right that, like other rights, can be used or refused. Used or refused. I have the right to speak my mind, but I can also remain silent like Christ did. And so, even in our refusal to use one of our rights, we have to have the right intention. Okay, so I can morally refuse to eat so my children can eat if I'm a parent. Okay, but I should not refuse to eat because I'm anorexic or I don't like my body or I think I'm too fat. Now, if that's a mental issue, yes, please seek help. But the choice to refuse a right has to be done with the right intention for the greater good. The church has always cautioned against rash judgment and seeking martyrdom. And what I realized, I was one of them. When I begged Kaz to let me go to Iraq, and he said, no. I said, you have to let me go. This is what I want. I want to be a martyr. I'm seeking martyrdom. You should not antagonize others to execute you. In fact, you ever hear of the Council of Elvira? <laughs> what a weird name for a church council. In 306, the Council of Elvira decreed that Christians executed for smashing the idols of the pagans were not allowed the title of martyr. The Christians would go and smash the um, idols of the pagans, and then they would antagonize the pagans, and they would be executed, and they, they all thought they were martyrs, and the church said, you're not martyrs. You're antagonizing. To be a martyr is to give witness to the faith through your life and choices, that if death comes of it, so be it. It's a free choosing of a greater good. It's not the desire to die. That's what people think martyrdom is. I, thank goodness Father Kaz said no to me because I was strictly going to Iraq with the desire to die. I wanted to die for Christ. Now Christians seek to love God and neighbor and if those goods lead to death, then so be it but it shouldn't be your focus on yourself. You're not to seek to die. If it happens because you're defending the faith, so be it, but it's not to be your primary cause. So Jesus did not seek to die. Well, yes, he did, Father. No, he didn't. He said, let this cup pass me by. So he did not seek to die, but he did accept it as a consequence of the truth. How powerful, all right? So Catholics, there's another article in the Catholic News Agency. Catholics are called to daily martyrdom. Here we go, finally. This is where you're a daily martyr. Now, even Pope Francis said that the faithful are called to follow the example of the martyrs in losing their lives for Christ, even if they do not suffer violence or physical death. All right, Father, so you're telling me I'm a martyr. 
So you're telling me there's a chance that I can be a martyr. All right. He said, many are in prison or killed for their faith, but there is also daily martyrdom, which does not result in death, but is also a loss of life for Christ. I came across this picture. I got to share it. So if Brother Mark can go to the next picture. This is the best picture I ever come across that remind me of me and my mom. You see the little kid down there looking at his mom? I remember my mom was always there for me. Always there. And one day, I came home and I had my good clothes on, and I wanted to go down and play with the neighbor kids, Chris and Mike. And my mom was having a day like this lady here. And she said no. And I, you got to change your clothes. I didn't want to take the time to change my clothes because they were getting ready to leave. And I didn't want to miss my chance to join them. I, I forget going fishing or something. So I get on my bike. My mom's having a day like this. I'm looking at her. And I get on my bike and I said, my mom chased me down. She came running down. I'd never seen my mom do this before. And she chased me down. I'm pedaling, I'm pedaling. She caught me. She caught me and got me right off that bike. And I remember going in to the house by the scruff of my neck. And I didn't die from abuse. My house wasn't childproof. And I didn't even wear a helmet when I rode that bicycle. Okay. It was the way it was then. And we went into the house and I remember my mom just collapsed, just like that lady in that picture. And even as a little kid, I realized what my mom just did by yanking me off that bike was something deeper. She was having a horrible day. Later, I found out not till I was an adult that my mom was struggling with migraines that were so bad, it was like a gunshot going off in her head. And so my poor mom just had reached her breaking point. And here I am like that little kid looking at mom going, mom, what's wrong with you? And in essence, mom was a martyr. Here she was holding the family together, taking care of us. And here I was being disobedient. And I look back now and I'm like, as my mom's now, um, you know, struggling and health reasons. And I look back and I'm like, Mom, you're a living martyr. And when I went to see my mom recently, she looked at me. My mom thanked me for what I've done for her. I looked at her. I almost broke out in tears. I'm like, Mom, <laughs> no. I'm thanking you for all you've done for me. She's a daily martyr. You can be a daily martyr. You've heard me say it before. There's got to be more to life than getting up in the morning trying to get ready for work, hassling to make it on time, getting the kids off to school, hassling with your boss at work, um, missing deadlines and fighting traffic on your way home, then having to get groceries and then have to prepare a meal and then coming home and having to pay bills and arguing with your spouse because there's no money and then getting the kids to bed and then helping them with their homework. Father, there's got to be more to that. You've heard me say this so many times. Actually, that's your surest way to heaven. By doing those duties faithfully and by accepting them with a smile. I don't mean you have to say, thank you, Lord, give me more. 
You just have to say, Lord, this is what I offer back up to you. This is what it means to offer it up. You went through the cross. This is my small share of the cross. And I'm grateful that you allowed me to share in your part of the cross. He only gives you a tiny part. And so daily martyrdom consists of people doing their duty with love. All right. Um, according, uh, the Pope said, according to the logic of Jesus, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's when I realized my mom every day gave up her life for us. Every day. That's the value of a mom. And so we can give our life for the truth, like John the Baptist, and actually die and shed blood and be a red martyr. But we can also give up your will on a daily basis, which is harder, and be a white martyr, and your glory in heaven will be greater than even some red martyrs. That blows my mind. Jesus asks of us fidelity in the small thing that you keep your faith, that, that every day you walk with him, despite the kids bothering you or the husband annoying you. This is white martyrdom. But the time is coming where a red martyrdom may be back in front of us. We're seeing it all over the world. We're seeing it, red martyrdom. I think it's kind of ironic that communism, red Russia, red China, but there's genocide, there's civil war. Let's go to our, our next slide in China. I bet you didn't even know July 9th is the 120 martyrs of China, their feast day. Did you know in China, 50 million people have lost their lives? Christians, 50 million for faith. Soviet Union, 25 million. As a Soviet, this, listen to this. The dissident, Vladimir Bukovsky, as he said, communism killed as many people in one day as the entire Spanish Inquisition killed over centuries. And yet we are being taught how evil the Inquisition of the church was. And if you believe that, please watch my talk that I did a while ago here on this YouTube channel on the truth of the Inquisition. But our kids are being taught in school how evil the church and the Inquisition was and the millions of people put to death. First of all, it didn't put millions of people to death. That was the state, France, Italy, Spain. It was the nation state, not the church that put millions of people to death, but China, one nation, 50 million, Russia, one nation, 25 million. And communism, as I said, is according to Vladimir Bukovsky, has killed more people in a single day than the Inquisition killed in centuries. In the past 50 years, 33, I'm sorry, 300,000 Christians have died in North Korea. Well, I should rephrase that, have disappeared without a trace. 30, gosh, I keep saying 30, 300,000 Christians in North Korea have disappeared without a trace. In Sudan, various relief agencies have reported persecution of Christians 
being raped, tortured, enslaved, sex trafficked, and burned alive. Christian Solidarity International reports 25,000 Christian children were just recently sold into slavery. Children. Islam. Now, Christians here in the secular West, like us, we're spiritually lukewarm. Eh, Christianity, eh. Eh, I'll try to go to church. Christianity, well, okay, take it or leave it. Well, let me tell you, Christianity in other places around the world is worth dying for. Christianity remains a deadly serious manner almost everywhere else on the planet except us for the Christians in the West, secular West. Do you know Christianity is a minority in 87 countries? The Geneva Report of 2002 says up to 200 million Christians today are being denied human rights as defined by the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. And it's kind of ironic the United Nations talks about human rights. That's a whole nother story. Um, simply because they are Christians. According to a report by the Catholic group Aid for the Church in Need, where are the two worst areas for Christians? Asia and the Middle East are the most dangerous places in the world for Christians. And the situation for Christians in Iran continues to deteriorate. They've completely ended the development of Christianity in Iran. One of the birthplaces, Iraq, too. A report by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom finds Christians are increasingly the subject of harassment, arrest, surveillance, imprisonment, and death by more than any other religious group, period. Dozens of churches. Let's go to our next slide. This one broke my heart. Look at that statue of Jesus his head smashed off. If that doesn't move you when you see that, dozens of church being bombed and attacked by, by Muslim extremists, the tiny minority of Christians has become a target for Sunni Arabs, Shiites, and Kurds. Hundreds of thousands of Christians have fled these areas. In Egypt, Christians are frequently arrested, tortured, and imprisoned just for converting. Let's go to our next slide. I don't even know this man, but I looked into his eyes and I'm like, dude, you are the man. This is in 2005, Gassir Mohammed Mahmoud. He's a Christian convert and he was, re he was tortured for refusing to renounce Christ. His toenails were pulled out and he was kept in a water-filled room, beaten, whipped, and confined into a mental hospital, and he persevered, not him, the grace of God. In Saudi Arabia, it is considered a religious obligation for Muslims to hate Christians and Jews because conversion from Islam warrants a death sentence. The Saudi Ministry of Education textbooks in their elementary and secondary schools demonize Christians, Jews, and non-Muslims. In Bangladesh, Christians are being denied access to water, Frequent targets that they are of physical violence and destruction of property. In Turkey, Christians are denied access to civil and military jobs, and it, you can't build a church there. Now, since Islamic law was proclaimed in 12 northern states in Nigeria in 12, 2004, Nigeria has become one of the most dangerous countries in the world. Clashes have increased. Same in India, 
It's become problematic. Hindu extremists we talked about, gang rape of Christian women, murder of missionaries, priests, sexual assaults on nuns, ransacking churches and convents, Bible burning, Protestant churches as well. Let's pray. I don't like talking about this stuff, but if I'm not, who is? Even our own Vatican isn't talking about this. Our own Holy See isn't talking about this. Let's go to our next slide. In the past year in Indonesia, did you know this is the world's largest Muslim nation? Indonesia. Saw Catholic high school girls captured on their way to school and beheaded. A Christian market was bombed. The president of the country refused to overturn the death sentence of Christian men. The extremist groups in Indonesia killed 8,000 people just recently, destroyed 600 churches since 1996. Not only are Christians being killed there, but in North Korea, in North Korea, they're killing the children of Christians and their children, second and third generations. Soon Uk Lee was a woman who survived seven years in a North Korean woman's prison. She testified that she watched prison guards murder the Christians by pouring molten iron on them, who refused to renounce Christ. Joseph Kuhn, nephew of a cardinal in the church, told a Congressional Executive Commission on China in March 2002 that since 1999, the Chinese government has destroyed 1,200 churches in one province alone. There are no public churches in China anymore, he said, because they're now illegal. Last paragraph. You know what, I, I, in all fairness, you know, I, I talk about Islamic extremists, but you know, in all fairness, there's a lot of good. Father Kaz, I always go back to Father Kaz, told me the story that one day there was a package that was set out in the middle of the night in front of the shrine here. And the package had Arabic writing on it. And on it was a sword. And they got up for morning prayer. They came in earlier and somebody reported the box. Father Kaz freaked out, assuming it was a bomb. See, sometimes, and I don't want to be guilty of that either, we can form stereotypes. And I, I, I want to emphasize, we don't want to do that. And a perfect example is Father Kaz. As they laid that package with all the Arabic writing on it and a big sword, Father Kaz, God bless his heart, was convinced it was a bomb. So instead of just running, he figured there wasn't time. This thing was going to explode in a minute. He grabbed it and ran it out into the woods willing to risk his own life. How many of us would do that? Willing to risk his own life, figuring this box was going to explode, that it was a bomb. And he ran out. They called in the bomb squad. What it ended up being was not a bomb. What it ended up being was an Islamic man converted to Catholicism. And he laid, he brought a box and in it was a note saying he's laying down his weapon against Christianity. That was the sword. And he laid it down on that box 
And Father Kaz said that they told him that it was a peace offering and his act of asking for forgiveness for his past aggression against Christians. And so while we read these examples of negative extremism, we should also point out these kind of examples of beautiful people of peace that want to say, you are my brother. I'm the first one who want to say that. I know I, I, I point out a lot of the problems with extremism or, or Islam or non-Catholic religions that want to persecute Christians. Well, at the same time, there are a lot of good, gentle, peaceful people that we have to recognize want peace. Those are Christ-like. And so let us not automatically form the opinions in our mind of the negative, <clears throat> but like Father Kaz, have the courage then to also see the positive in brotherhood. All right, so we finish with this one. This, th this was Regis Martin from the um, National Catholic Register just, just a couple months ago. Why does martyrdom matter? We cannot be reborn with Christ, he said, until we have first died with Christ. And all I'm going to do is finish with a few scriptural examples of everything we've been talking about. So why does martyrdom matter? Why is it so esteemed by Mother Church? Because it's biblical. It's biblical. Does God really expect this of us? Does he really require the shedding of blood as proof that we love him? Well, you could live it as a white martyr we just talked about. Do people really actually still die today for their beliefs? We've shown that is true. We cannot be reborn with Christ unless we die with Christ. In other words, raised up and restored to our baptismal innocence, get to heaven until we first died with Christ and engrafted ourselves onto the flesh of the pierced and crucified Jesus. This is biblical. And so if people think Catholics are crazy for honoring martyrs, just go to the Bible. Let's talk about Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Hello, white martyrs. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Hello, red martyrs. Matthew 5, chapter 10 through 12. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you. And utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad. That's why I always say, Lord, come on. You're asking a lot on that one. If you haven't prayed the litany of humility, that'll get you every time. Rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven. Thus, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How about this one? Acts 5. Behold, I am sending you like sheep. Or no, I'm sorry. This is Matthew 10. Behold, I am sending you like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and simple as doves. But beware of people, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. And you will be led before governors and kings for my sake as a witness. That's the meaning of the word martyr. Before them and the pagans, when they hand you over, 
do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. You will be given at that moment what you are to say, the Holy Spirit. Brother will hand over brother to death and father his children. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Woe, you will be hated by all because of my name, but whoever endures will be saved. Matthew 10. This is why the Catholic Church embraces the witness to Christ. Now Acts 5 verse 41. So they left the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus. And lastly, let's go to our last slide. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a, ground, a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. That is John 12. God bless you. And if you are in any way suffering or daily being martyred, or maybe you know somebody who's a red martyr, let us not let that grace be wasted. Let us offer it back up to God for our salvation. Remember, suffering is redemptive. And so if you'd like to share in our family and our sufferings, our masses, our prayers, uh, please become one of our Marian family. Uh, Brother Mark can show on the screen. Please visit micprayers.org. It doesn't cost anything. I did a talk last week on this. Being a Marian helper is just being part of our family. If you can't give a dime, I don't care. I always say, yes, we need to pay our bills and keep the lights on. Uh, yeah, yeah. But what's most important is getting you to heaven. That is how I will be judged. And that is why I try so hard to teach you the faith so you can know the faith, so you can love your faith. Can't love what we don't know. And so now you hopefully know today why God in the Bible talked about the shedding of blood and the meaning of a martyr. Even if you're red or white, the white martyr doesn't shed blood, but you shed your will. You give up your will, not your life, but your will, which is in a sense your life. And so we ask all of you to join our Marian family. And you could do it by micprayers.org. If you want to call, Peter's in today. You can email him at peterjames, one word, at marian.org. Or call us at 1-800-4-MARIAN. M-A-R-I-A-N. Everybody puts O-N-A-N. Uh, and lastly, if you'd like the books that explain a lot of this, and Brother Mark can show on the screen, I got my book on Divine Mercy. You can get this at shopmercy.org. Uh, you can call 800-4-MARIAN, which is 462-7426. In that book on Divine Mercy, I explain all of this. And then lastly, the big one that really applies to this talk today, the last slide. Um, please go to shopmercy.org or suicideandhope.com. There I have my book I did with Father Jason. It's called After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You Now. Let me stress, please, it's not just about suicide. I use the example and the story of my grandmother taking her life as just kind of a foundation of the book. But the teaching is what we've talked about today. Redemptive suffering, offering it up 
understanding why God allows these things to happen. And this book is a good example. If you know anybody who's suffering in any way, not just suicide, but in any way, please get them a copy. And as I've said before, you can't afford a copy, I'll send it to you for free. Call Peter right now in the office. He'll probably kill me. But his number is 413-298-1303. Or if you like to go to shopmercy.org, you can get it all processed today. But if you can't afford it, I will send you a free copy. What's most important is we get it in your hands and that you can see the grace of God. And um, so again, his number is 413-298-1303. And if you want to get a copy for others, shopmercy.org. Not an easy topic. And I know some of you are going to send me letters saying, Father, don't be so negative. I get it. But at the same time, nobody is talking about this, at least enough. Our Christian brothers and sisters are in dire need around the world. And we're not doing enough for them. So let us be aware of what's really happening and be there for our brothers and sisters. We're all part of the body of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you next week and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.